Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of Rackend, and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. This episode was fantastic and fun and interesting, and you will want to hear the end because we got into protecting APIs with NFTs and um, how we got there is also interesting. We were talking about civilization technology. So how do we create standards and regulations and expected APIs that allow us to create ecosystems around the infrastructure that we build? We see this all the time in you know, railroads and building uh, electricity, you know, consumer electronics. We haven't yet seen it emerging cloud um, or even in open source. And, and we had some really uh, significant conversations around the interactions between these systems that uh, would, would or will drive standardization and resist it. I know you will enjoy this discussion. So the topic for today is building codes for the cloud. Uh, with this idea that, uh, and we've talked about this before, using standards creates market power um, or creates market ecosystems rather than than single dominant players. Um, yet we're you know we're sort of seeing a whole bunch of challenges in how, and I have the notes I have for this are you know team corp industry and global standardization how that would help us what's what's holding us back from that why it's important. Uh, the tyranny of naming challenges. Uh, I don't remember the background on that one, but I think it's important. And there's a link for the technology uh, S-curve, adoption curve, um, which I'll paste in for everybody to see, um, which outlines the idea of systems you know, sort of reaching an obsolescence peak before the thing that replaces them is mature enough to absorb that. So there's a, there's a, a gap from that perspective. Um, what, what I would do is there's a story I love to tell about this. That's really useful is that, um, back when we were getting, we, as a civilization, we're getting central heat. There were no standards for, uh, how boilers and heating systems were built and boilers are basically pressure systems. And if you design them wrong, they will explode or catch on fire. Um, same with electrical systems, electrical systems were wired in, you know, without any standard components or standard rules. And there were a lot of fires from electrical systems. Um, and so at some point in the process, we came up with building codes, some of them uh, voluntary, some of them industry, some of them regulatory, um, in which we actually built the systems to those codes and then re relied on it. And at that point, the, the safety of the systems improved dramatically but also the industries behind those systems were able to now interconnect and you could build all sorts of follow-on things behind them, right? You could, you could sell appliances because there was a standard plug. Um, I'd say that we're seeing the same thing with USB now where a lot of devices don't bother having, you know, we used to have custom plugs for everything. It was a nightmare. And now we're just using USB plugs for everything. And it's, um, you know, wasn't the intention of USB to be a universal power adapter, but uh, mm -hmm. providing that service uh, because of the standards. So there's places where we get these building codes for you know, everything in our life. And as they progress, the, there's an accelerative component. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's a challenge on these. Um, some of these standards are crazy. Um, so the, the topic for today is to think, you know, is to talk through how do we get there in in cloud? You know, is there should we be there? What does it take to get there? Um, you know, are we are we what are we missing out on? I don't know. There's a, there's a lot of ways to go on this to sort of see the standardization, um, or even if you, you agree that that's a inevitable path for where we are with cloud tech. So that all open the floor. Yeah, I, I generally say that uh, it's still um, still way too early in the evolution of tech and for uh, building and supporting what's called cloud um, for that to be standardized. I mean, there's certainly Kubernetes is the latest quote unquote standard, but um, and 
it's quickly going to be replaced by something else. We just don't quite know what what yet. Probably something kata or uh, firecracker related, but who knows? You know, it could be five or six other cool related technologies that will come upon. I mean, it's the stuff is cyclical. So, do you think that? open source communities are replacing the need for standards bodies? No, no I think, yeah, I think they're opposite. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Opposite. Yeah. That's a stronger statement. Okay. Yeah, no, I would they're, absolutely they're in conflict agree. With each other, which is a good thing. I think it's a healthy conflict. And um, the more that we embrace that, that, uh, you know, IETF and CNCF as examples, perhaps, are in conflict that you know we should embrace that because it's good um, is isn't it true that um because we have such large vendors in the cloud service provider space um standards for um cloud services are less critical because you can get so much work done with any one of those groups those companies api set or standard build strategies. Um, on the other hand, it's also counterintuitive for them to search for standards because they don't want to move to commoditization of what they deliver any faster than they absolutely have to because they would assume that they're giving up um, their IP uh, if they were to standardize. Do, do they win if there are standards or do other companies win that would be in the wings if the cloud providers were to provide a standard set of tools and APIs for everyone to use. That's something that, that we've been discussing on and off on, on Tuesdays, uh, actually, that uh, um, like, what is the barrier for, for CSPs to, to, to provide interoperability? And, yeah, the, the common thread usually leads towards to yeah, the, the CSPs, they want standardization in order to absorb the user base from other CSPs, but they don't want standardization because they want, don't want to let go of their own user base. And, and we're, as we slowly get boiled, uh, a la frag in, a frog in warming water um, by the cloud service providers, um, we accept that situation because if there were 100 cloud service providers that all offered different standards, um, then it would be much more of a pain for the individual buyer. Having said that, um, there was also the discussion about de facto standards. Like, for example, S3, it, it's, it's not uh, an on-paper standard, but everyone assumes that if you have S3 compatible storage, it is compatible with your API and you just need, need to use the appropriate uh, host names for it. Um, Ubiquitous. Hmm. I'd, I'd also throw into the mix um, uh, OIN and Bandwidth Alliance. Um, both those organizations exist because of kind of a, uh, I was going to say forcing function, but that's not right. It's, it's like a, um, a velocity of um, activity uh, forces people into partnerships that they didn't really want or expect. Um, OIN basically just, um, I don't, I think majority of the companies that got involved in OIN at one point or another did it out of uh, kind of a desperation to lower their legal and um, uh, their legal costs. Uh, from patent trolls, um, but also just future unproductive um, competition. Um, but then also the Bandwidth Alliance, um, who would have thought that um, organizations would start banding together to, quote unquote, save on network costs, where um, that was continues to be one of the ways that they, they try to keep their customers um, stuck well, stuck's not the right word, but um, encourage them to stay within their ecosystem. But they're now creating, um, it's gotten away from them. So now they've formed the bandwidth alliance to try to uh, lower the cost of their customers. It's 
um, what, weird. Uh, and can you exists. can you give some background on the bandwidth alliance? Because I'm not familiar enough. Oh, sorry. Um, hey, you, you can find uh, it's it's something that um, uh, Cloudflare, um, Amazon, Google. Uh, I think Vulture's involved with it now. There's there's probably about 20 uh, CSPs um, that are involved in it now. And uh, essentially what it, it means is that um, for certain types of traffic, uh, they won't charge you as a customer to move so, it between uh, those back clients. So, so for example... Yeah, if you use Cloudflare to to peer with your Amazon backend, you you, you get again you get no charge. You also get faster peering in many cases as well, as, as opposed to accessing uh, S three directly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it it's largely useful for when you're user distributing content um, because you 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 get the power of Cloudflare's caching. Uh, and and the, and the flexibility of of having your your backend your storage uh, files still in in Amazon or or your other CSPs that are part of the alliance. Yeah, for I, some. Co- oh, go ahead. Sorry, I have a question. Then, how widely adopted are ISO seventeen seven eighty eight and seventeen seven eighty nine? Because those are the ones that are going to be enforced by NIST and through the government, as well as three new ones that are in IEEE and IETF on security. Can you remind us what those represent? I don't, yeah, I don't know what they are. Oh, okay. Um, I can put a link in the, in the chat. One is for cloud architecture and one is for cloud services. They were defined by NIST. Uh, in uh, 2018, 2019, 2020. And the latest updates are for 2021 will be released, I think, in June. Um, I had little fingers in them. So your assumption is that these will be, as standards, these will be enforced in some way or? uh, Yeah. Yeah, there there was legislation passed last December in Congress to force the implementation under the NIST guidelines. I can't quote you chapter and verse on U.S. legislation, but I can certainly tell you that they did receive uh, high levels of approval in the first go round of voting. And there's people that I work with in NIST uh, on an occasional basis that are pushing like crazy to have these things adopted into law. Is it around like power efficiency standards or? No, it's, uh, one of them is around security. The other two are around uh, IAS, PASS, et cetera, and what those standards should look like. Wow. Just give me I, two seconds and I'll put it in the, in the chat. I'd be, interested, I'd be interested in seeing it. I can't imagine yeah. well, any of the ISO. industry would uh, think this is a great idea to have NIST tell them how to run their business. But <laughs> uh, you're, talking, well, I, you're preaching the, to the choir. Yeah. I think the CSPs would resist like crazy, but I think that the yeah. customers who are interested them in customers off, consuming. And if it was um, adopted in 2018, I'm sure it's uh, it was incredibly generic when they wrote it, and now it's probably not even applicable three years but, later. But, well, but I, I'm is, not disagreeing with you, Sean. I'm just telling you that there are a lot of people that are pushing for these things because they believe that there's too much of a dominance of the larger players. And Ah, the same people who are pushing for let's break up the big tech monopolies, et cetera, et cetera. So where I participate is in the development of the actual standard, the technical standard and the work Mm -hmm. that goes along with it. So from that perspective, I have a modicum of influence, but also not being a U.S. citizen, I can't say very much. That being said, however, The same thing is translating worldwide if it goes up to ISO. And for those that are, mm-hmm. and I'll make this very quick, that are unfamiliar, it's the small groups that start the movement and they all have step stage processes that bounce it all the way up to ISO and to get the ISO blessing takes a while, but it doesn't take that much in the sense of you know people pushing back to say, no, we're not going to make this a standard, or yes, we are. So from that perspective, if it then transfers into legislation or 
gets into the Congress in some way, shape, or form, uh, NIST stands behind it and starts pushing it big time. Yeah. And since uh, it seems the administration listens to them to a certain degree, that's where you get these things coming from. Yeah, I, I want to posit something that might be, um, it's heresy, it, it, I'll just say it, it is heresy, that the idea that uh, something that's regulated stops all innovation, um, I, I think that that assumption is a marketing statement more than it is a, um, I think there's places where it has, it has limitations, but we've been doing cloud infrastructure for a long time. The idea that we need to keep tweaking the cloud, you know, some basic parts of the cloud API translate into an incredibly challenging environment for the users of those environments. Right. We're, we're adding changes around the edges that don't necessarily benefit, you know, they, they benefit the, the provider of that technology, but it's, it makes it incredibly hard to use and build on top of those, the systems. If one, they're still drifting and two, they're, they have all this vendor variant. And, and I'm part of me that doesn't agree with that statement. And there's a part of me that, you know, strongly agrees with that statement as I'm doing all this, the work around multi-cloud and hybrid. Uh, cool. Thank you, Joanne. Uh, Interesting. I, I, I can be more, I can be more specific, like cause the OpenStack stuff, OpenStack started with a vision to create uh, API standard across multiple clouds so that you had, you know, basically this even playing field of all sorts of providers could set up OpenStack and then the, the, the power would transfer back to the users where they could, you know, clouds would be um, interchangeable from mm -hmm. that perspective. Um, but the operational differences between OpenStack installs were so high and the operational differences between the clouds themselves is so high, not a matter of the APIs, right? Mark's example about the plugs uh, from the chat where you know we have all these different plugs, but fundamentally, the it's alternating current of you know fairly narrow band of voltage and a fairly narrow band of hertz. So the plugs are a, a nuisance, but the the appliances that you know it's that's easy enough to that that can be adapted. Um, the, the it's not like that with cloud stuff. You you can't just say oh I'm going to shim the API for Amazon versus Google or OpenStack or VMware, and things are gonna be the same, Rich is shaking his head. Um, and then expect the, that your automation and your, your systems are gonna work the same way. It's not, they're not that compatible. Um, well, isn't that the value proposition of companies like HashiCorp? Yes. Uh, right, right. That, you know, I, you know, I just, you know, I just to go with your electrical plug yeah. analogy, you know, I just got back from Europe, you know, and I had my little, I had my little box of plug adapters where I could plug, you know, whatever I brought with me into whatever plug I was in, you know, whatever, whatever place I was in, you know, is that, you know, it's is, not, it's not the same. Like if you look at, if you look at, at Terraform, Right, you can use Terraform on any cloud, but each Terraform provider is unique. It is it is completely impossible, and I know because I've been trying. Um, it's not impossible; it's incredibly hard to write Terraform plans in a way that is actually cloud agnostic. Matter of fact, you can't do it um, because the clouds themselves are too different. So you can use Terraform against every cloud. But your your code, your plan, are operationally distinct for each each cloud environment. So so why would it so why would I bother to use Terraform then? Um, because if you live within the the same cloud ecosystem, it does make your your builds reproducible. The the the, the problem with Terraform is it's not within the same cloud. It's once you cross clouds. But I mean, if you know, I'll I'll put my executive, my IT executive hat on 
but that's what I'm buying, right? Now the whole point of, but you know what, you know what I'm trying to avoid uh, is cloud lock-in, right? And Terraform, you know, was sold to me as a path to avoid that. It's yeah. And I think there's two answers from that perspective. It is demonstrably a better API than the cloud providers are, are providing for, for interfacing to their, their clouds. Um, sorry, demonstrably is, is maybe too vague a word. It is, it is easier to use than a CLI because it accomplishes multiple tasks at the same time. Um, and so if you can learn, you can learn it. And and your skills in using Terraform will be portable, even if the plans aren't. So there's a there's a benefit, multi-cloud benefit, from that perspective. But it's operationally distinct. Um, it, it gives you a, a, a common DSL to to work across the, the different clouds, even if the plugins that they need to use are different. Um, <laughs> trying to think of an analogy, like this might be like. Um, like uh, Terraform is like comparing it to programming languages. Like if each cloud is a different programming language, Terraform is a programming paradigm, like object-oriented or functional or whatever, uh, versus another language. Like going from C to Java, you still need to learn the the various nuances about the new language, but you have your foundation already. So the effort to switch is less. There's still effort, though. I, yeah, I, I'm, it's sort of to me. Um, maybe this is. I'm looking for a good non-tech example. Um, and Rich, I'll, if I'll, I can pause if you want to jump in, but otherwise, no, I can. go go ahead. Um, everybody can drive a car, right? If you if you learn to drive a car, cars in some cases have relatively standard interfaces, and I believe that's a regulatory standard, right? Steering wheel, blinkers, brakes, gas. It's 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 pretty standard until you get to things that aren't actually standardized, like how to turn on the lights for the car or even how to shift, um, which Trindle is pretty standardized, but where they put the shift lever or you know, even how it locks or unlocks, it's not always that, that similar. Um, so that quickly devolves. If you actually opened up the hood and looked at the operating characteristics of the engine behind the scenes, you wouldn't expect, and maybe this is, an interesting aspect to this because we don't have to mess with the engine of cars particularly anymore. Um, but you know, you wouldn't expect to show up with, um, you know, frankly, even tools that work in one type of car do not work in another type of car. We have English and metric tools. Um, but the way an engine's constructed depends on the vendor, right? If you sit down with a Subaru, it's the piston layout is completely different than if you sit down with a regular, gas car, which is different than, say, a Mazda RX-7. Um, they're not but bad there's still, variations. The, the humans are the, the, both the variable and the constant here, because people still need to fix them. They still need to be repaired by human beings that read manuals and use tools. And the humans are the things that go into a car, you know, that are the, both the constant and the variable. Yeah. So it, if you but don't the, have the tools place, that generically can fix these things that um, a mechanic can use, then people won't buy the cars, right? They'll, the, the, they'll the break down. The place where we do the interface, like this is where like OBD got standardized um, because we needed that, and that was regulatory. Um, because we needed a single way to pull data out of every cloud. Um, yeah, but the industry kind of accepted that when that came out. There was because there was so much um, push uh, because of the the smarts and, and cars, um, the tooling that was being built to actually manage that in the aftermarket was becoming unwieldy. So the the common interface just became uh, there's enough push that 
everyone just kind of accepted it had to happen. Uh, I'd almost make the comparison of, um, it's probably a stretch, but the Google Oracle um, API drama um, that just went to the Supreme Court and is kind of mostly resolved that <laughs> APIs shouldn't be um, you know, copyrightable. Um, but uh, with most yeah. legal cases, they didn't uh, they didn't completely nail it down as that's the actual hundred percent of the time the case. So there's there's still going to be litigated quite a bit, I'm, I'm sure. Um, but much in the same way that uh, you know, um, it appears that APIs are now uh, free of uh, of being encumbered. But it also it directly goes back to um, there's this uh, push and drive to um, for certain organizations to uh, make sure that it's uh, is as easy at, uh, to use for their customers and difficult as as uh, possible for um, competitors to to um, uh, copy or to utilize. Much to uh, S- SPPL, that's uh, that Elastic and uh, Elastic and Mongo are are pushing. Which is okay, going I'll, to break that or try to break it. I'll pause because there's a couple of people with hands up, but I have other. Sorry, questions. I, I kind no, of paused over a bunch of topics. So. Exactly right. Well, Richard, I, I'd like to suggest that that we have to bucket a few of these con, these considerations. Um, if I were to draw a distinction between the standardization of what's exposed to consumers, users, customers, and those that are required for the interconnection of a reasonably small or at least well-defined community. For example, I mean, go back as far as you know, railway, railways, and the standardization of gauges, which would allow once you put a you know a gauge, a certain gauge railroad in place, you can move across that track anything from a you know, hand-powered cart to a modern electric diesel. Uh, in between, you can have wood-fired, uh, coal-fired, you know, everything else. They have, they have pickup day, trucks that drop, you, drop but tires. You, to, but yeah. hold, hold on for a second. The next thing you do is you standardize the switching of, on railways. And then you standardize the signaling. And that is to the end user, the driver of that of that that engine, to let him know to to continue, not to continue, to slow down. There's a problem. And in point of fact, that's pretty much how railways ended up, you know, getting the standardizations they got. They had their adapters in the old days where you, they literally took railway cars and put them on a, <laughs> a sled that, that, uh, that uh, will allow the, the railway car to accommodate a different, a different gauge railroad when it crossed into a new, a new service. That was simply not useful and usable and became the basis on which standardization was driven by this community of suppliers. I think we're in the same boat with respect to the CSPs. We need to establish what is standardized for the benefit of interconnection and interoperation and what's standardized for the purpose of exposed surfaces to consumers. It's interesting that that you mentioned railways because I mean, 
the in the in the US the derivative system was the contributor for uh standardization of time slots. Like it it, it was because they, they needed a system to keep their trains from crashing on shared tracks. Right. Mm-hmm. Um yeah just going back to, to what to something is a before Rob, though, uh, change of topics. Uh, sorry, Richard, if you wanted to continue this, uh, yeah, like the, the mention of OBD and, and, and Rob, you, you mentioned as a standard. Um, with OBD, the standard is it's a very tenuous one, and, and I think it's actually a very good analogy for uh, for Terraform because your your plug your plug is standardized, your pinout is standardized, but the voltage changes. The data that, that the bus provides is completely different, not only from, from a manufacturer to another, but from a model to another. Yeah. So, so yes. <laughs> Performance the OBD of, of cloud. <laughs> yes. So it, it, OBD, let, let, you, you know you can use OBD to get the data out, uh, from, from the engine of your vehicle. And in some cases, provide data to the engine. That's it. After that, everything you need to do is like, tinker around manually and reverse engineer it until it works. But that's going to be very interesting with the multiplying factor of code in cars as they're coming out now. It is. And, and, and I know this from... Well, I I don't work on it firsthand, but the company I work for, we do telematics. Reverse engineering OBD is one of our main, one of the main things that we do, and we do it well, and it's still a a lot of work. It's a huge amount of work. I mean, there's going to have to be translators. Can you imagine as, you know, if you look at what GM and even now Toyota and, you know, many of the automotive makers around the world, the closer they get to autonomous vehicles, the more code is being put into those systems. It's not the device anymore. Patches, tweaks without standards uh, or interoperability of that code. Yep. It's going to be pretty risky, no pun intended. And, and there's government requirements as well. Right. Like for example, the, uh, New York uh, recently announced that they're going to adopt the, uh, the the requirements for 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 transportation efficiency that, that California set out. So, does that mean that they're going to use the exact same data? Not necessarily, but 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 it, it means that in that you need to to collect the 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 data from the same sources and uh, to, to effectively do an ETL to, to make it meet the, the, the standards of that particular jurisdiction. Oh, what a mess. It is going to be a mess. actually erodes standardization at that point. Oh. Well, you know, I think part of the issue also, and I think we're going to see this with Edge as well, is that we're going to have certain requirements that are going to be like bare bones that will have to be met. And I think that's being driven a lot in in large part by security folk that are looking at it from their perspective and saying, if we don't put our foot down now and develop a standard that everybody must comply with, we're going to have just a quagmire to deal with going forward. So whatever is coming out of cloud and and certainly with respect to the Terraform discussion, um, I see it becoming um, something that by next year, we're gonna have issues around edge deployments as well, just because of things like telematics and LIDAR and any other sort of uh, vision-based you know, requirements that have standards attached but have no security attached to those standards. So it's going to be a very interesting time in that regard. It's going to be very difficult to convince the business community that uh, uh, not only of what the standards should be, um, because there's going to be just, well, 
just what those standards are um, around security. But uh, the reporting and um, the um, uh, data security aspect of reporting on that data, you know, who's going to own it, um, the life cycle of that data, who's going to use it and for what. Uh, I, I can't imagine that's going to be an easy discussion. An example, to this date, there's still, at least to my knowledge, there's no standard or even attempt at trying to come up with a standard for all the data that all the police departments in just in the U.S. Um, uh, gather uh, for um, uh, body cams. You know, the privacy around that, there's, uh, as far as I know, there's been a lot of debate about it, but there's no standardization. That's a huge amount of data that's floating around there and obviously incredibly important uh, for court cases, for privacy, sure. for liability. And nobody's been able to figure that out, uh, at least not yet. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I think we're years or decades away from those. I won't stop people from debating and talking about it, which I think is an important topic. But um, without yeah. without reg without a regulation or some need, there's it's it's not a feature that has high business value to develop. Yeah, right. But with regulation. I mean, for autonomous vehicles, I think there is already some legislation pending and there are certain standards that are being evolved uh, where the car makers are definitely, you know, part and parcel of the thing. Um, where I saw it even more recently is there's an organization that was set up for digital twin development because ask 10 engineers what they mean by a digital twin and you'll get 12 different answers. And there's a lot of scope creep you know, in, in a variety of different ways. That being said, though, the digital twins are what, what are being used by municipalities to be able to regulate the driving of autonomous vehicles and even those that are um, semi-autonomous, buses, taxis, whatever. The more of them that are that are pushed out into society, the more the regulation needs to happen. And telemetry, of course, is a major factor in that, as is security. So I think you're going to see that push, and it's going to it's going to um, sort of um, oh, what's the word daisy chain, if you will, or domino into other sectors of business in a very significant way. And by the way, even though it was kind of tongue in cheek, I actually have a client that's trying to put their API out as NFT. So that that becomes their stake in the ground. Hmm. And there's two markets that are opening up just to do that for the big tax. Getting back to your, you're talking about telemetry. Or <laughs> I want to make a whole topic cities. about that. In the list. I, my head is, my head is really confused. Uh, so is mine. The, the notion of a standard as an N, NFT just um how what does that what the excuse me, but what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> Communication protocol um, as you're excused. <laughs> you're excused. No, not a not a standard as an NFT. It's that they want to encode their APIs as NFT and then license them that way. But it's their proof of stake, no pun intended, that um, it's theirs and it can't be forked or changed without you paying a fee for it. Yeah. So, right. it's enforced, it's, it, so it's as, as a means of enforcement? Yes. So, so they're, they're, they're looking to use the blockchain as... As, as a, a way around as, copyright. As a, well, I, I was thinking it's more a, it's as, a as, yeah. as a way to prove uh, license ownership, which, which which seems fine. I I don't think I, I would use NFTs for that, uh, but it, it certainly seems interesting approach. Um, it also would mean that license could be transferable because right. you 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 can well prove, you, 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 you can transfer the token to sub, someone else. Sub licensing, yeah. That's exactly why they want to do it. They're looking at monetizing their APIs in ways that have never been done before. Huh. Won't well, stop people from yeah, trying to work it. Be done. <laughs> Interesting idea. Uh, 
Oh, so the API absolutely. still has to be implemented. So whoever implements their API effectively could fork it to you know be something slightly different. Um, so, but yeah, interesting. Well, if along with that there are there's a license re with regard to terms of use, including derivative yeah. works, then you you start to get to that point. In other words, that's enforcement ends up being you know going to courts as opposed yeah. to a technical technical enforcement. Which gets back to the recently uh, the recent court case between Google and Oracle. And Oracle, I, exactly. I think that specifically, that specific type of implementation makes um, suing somebody over a forked implementation of, uh, of an API uh, tenuous at best. Mm. You have to have some I, pretty deep pockets to be able to want to do that because it's definitely going well, back to the the um, Supreme Court in, in US. Any, in any it. of these cases, you know, taking things to court, it, it is a it's a deterrent. Uh, but uh, ultimately, if you've got enough money, if there's a big enough difference in the in the uh, the two sides of the um, of the case. <laughs> um, that side that's got the most money is going to end up, you know, will or willing to spend enough more money on it is probably going to win. Well, this is the opposite you know, of us creating ecosystems and markets where we have um, an actual. Civilization. This is the opposite of the civil. The challenges we're so moving so fast towards the opposite of civilization technology, where we have places where people can collaborate and build together. We didn't talk about this, but standards are aren't really owned. Part of the reason why the government actually helpful to have the government involved is it's the community asset. When the government enforce has a standard yeah, or one whole, of these bodies, yeah, the whole point standard. is for the common wheel. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I was not only did my head explode when I heard about this, but it was kind of like, uh, why? And really what they came down to was they felt that too many people were taking the use of an API um, so far afield that they were actually losing money on it. So rather than, you know, uh, get the money back in some way, shape, or form in, in more conventional ways, they decided, well, we'll put it up as an, uh, as an NFT, let people bid on it. And, you know, if it's a community of, of people, fine. They don't really care. And I, I don't know that this is actually legal to do, but this is... What's the name of this company? I'd be really interested I, to look into this more. Uh, I can't tell you because of NDA. But oh, okay. I can tell okay. you, put it this way, insofar as I know, it, is, it was the original idea of one of the big exchanges in the Bitcoin field. Okay. It's not an Ethereum company association um, where they were looking at it and they decided that as an exchange, they would really uh, use this as, as a value add. And give content creators, anybody who goes after copyright or design patent, um, or rather industrial design as opposed to patent, a means to um, archivally regulate the use of their intellectual capital and property. Wow. And, I, and I thought, well, more power to you for being creative about it. But Jesus, I can't imagine how you're going to create a developer community. Yeah. I, I, I find it interesting limiting. that they chose to go with NFTs versus uh, smart contracts. I think they're going to evolve it into a smart contract, but I think what they're trying to do is test the waters to see if this gives them more capability than copyright might or licensing might to prevent people from knocking it off. I can also tell you that the reason that they're doing this is because of rampant hacks, security, et cetera, et cetera. And they're more like a layer three than a layer one. If you understand that terminology, Sean, I'm not sure. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, it points for creativity. So, and that's, you know, to a certain extent, certainly in the crypto space, being the most creative uh, wins you adherence a lot of cases. So, it's well, the idea of using it as a, as a, you know, DIY copyright replacement is, is, is interesting, but, you know, the terms of use that go along with that NFT, you know, can span, you know, the full spectrum, everything to your point of it's open to the public and, you know, everybody can use it because that's the, this is the way we, you know, we set it up to, you know, what happens with derivative works, what happens with consolidations, all, you know, modifications and so forth. So, you know, it's, it's kind of, uh, I've got a new, I've got a new weapon, a new cudgel here, uh, (laughs) the point in at which I start to use it on, uh, on the community is not defined at all. So it's a, it's a, it's a workaround copyright, which arguably (laughs) <laughs> has needed a revamp for a long time. So I, I no, I, 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 I'm actually go wondering, no, go ahead, John. No, 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 close, go ahead. I, I was saying like, I, I, <laughs> from what we've discussed, I, I, I can see how the NFTs or the use of NFTs would, prevent, would, would benefit the consumers of the APIs. Again, like b- making the, the X right transferable, uh, and so on. I, I, I kept rocking, trying to wrap my brain around like what, how, how would the would the API provide the benefits, right? And the only thing I can think of right now is uh, sidestepping payment processor lock-in because yes, but because then you you you're, you're you're not limited to the jurisdictions that the payment processor. Uh, Serves you, you. You can you can via the blockchain do funds transfer from any jurisdiction to any jurisdiction. Right. So so it it, it can increase it, it can increase your user base without significantly increasing your cost of doing uh, of of providing the service. It's gasless. I don't know about that last statement. You know, yes. Well, you can, I mean, you can do the transfer without going through you know conventional means. The problem is at the at at e- ingress and egress. You've got the exchanges that are going to you know, be charging you for anything and everything. It there. You, you you don't need to go through an exchange. You've shifted, you've shifted the business models to a different different point in the in the in the in the path, if you if you're doing transfers on 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 the blockchain or like payments on the blockchain, you don't need to go through an exchange. An exchange is just I, a service that, that, that makes I it easier. For you. But okay, yeah. Yeah, so so Longer later on, when when you're converting your 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 crypto funds to uh, fiat cash, yes, then then there is a a, a cost, but. Yeah. But and I think that has there, to be taken into you know total cost of operation kinds of you know, considerations. But that was, that was I, I, I can tell you from first-hand experience in the field that it is viable. That there, there are companies that 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 take payments only in in crypto, and and they they do yeah. no worse I, I, uh, than ones that that do it only in fiat. Yeah. Well. Okay. Well, in, until uh, Bitcoin keeps dropping like it is right now. <laughs> uh, the, uh, that's the thing, though. Like, uh, until the, we actually this, have a real currency in, instead of an of, a, of a, an investment asset, that that will make it. Well, better. unless you happen to live in Ecuador, rich, or any of the other ten countries that are 
central banks are issuing their own digital currency. The, the oh, no, yuan is digital currencies and cryptocurrencies are two different things. So. No, 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 no. I, I don't disagree. I'm just saying in digital currency terms, if it's a central bank that chooses to do it, uh, it's a different story. Uh, with you all the way there. It's not, that ain't Bitcoin. Uh, no. Oops. Of course not. Yeah. Folks, I'm sorry, I got to run. But Yeah, we, me we're, too. we're a bit over. This was spirited <laughs> in an unexpected direction. Thank you for bringing in that API NFT thing. We will bring it back up in the future. Excellent. Thanks, Thanks for sharing, thanks. guys. Happy New Year. Thanks, guys. Happy, Happy New, New Year. Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Wow. This discussion, and it's a theme for us, of standardization and the evolution of standardization in cloud technology is a critical topic. Uh, and we keep uncovering new and interesting ways in which that technology will emerge. But there's clearly forces that are pulling apart uh, rather than together in some of these instances. And uh, how that will get resolved is going to be fascinating to watch. Keep uh, joining us. You can come and add your voice into these discussions at the 2030.cloud. Uh, we would love to have you in and participate or just listening live as we have these fantastic roundtable conversations. I'll see you there. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently. Because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly. Or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know, laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.